Welcome to Week in Review, where we recap issues and events pertinent to Central Illinois. I'm WNBD News Director Cooper Banks. It was something many advocates feared going into the pandemic, and it's something that hit very close to home in the Peoria community within just the past couple of weeks, the plague of child neglect and abuse. In a week where we see two Peoria parents jailed and charged with murder for the death of their eight-year-old son, Navin Jones, in what is suspected to have been a case of child abuse and neglect, local leaders, including state's attorney Jody Hoos, took time to mark child abuse prevention during a press event downtown this past week. Thank you, everyone, for being in here on this uh, bright, sunny day. Uh, although, when I walked down here, I, I think the sun did pop out. Um, those of us in this field, my colleagues, uh, we recognize that child abuse doesn't just happen on the sunny days. It happens on the rainy, crappy ones, too. So I think it's uh, very fitting that despite the weather outside, we're still able to get together uh, to bring awareness to this very important issue uh, that we face as a society. Not only do child abuse cases happen in all types of weather, they happen in all types of ways. And I think the ones that are easiest for us to recognize, that we see the most, are the ones that we observe right in front of us. For example, the, the student who shows up to school with a black eye, or a bruise on his arm, or the little girl who tells her grandmother that somebody touched her in a bad way. Those cases are easy for us to see. The cases we don't see are also right in front of us. We just don't realize it. And those are usually the cases where the abuse has gone on for a long time. It's injury after injury, little by little. That abuse happens weeks, months, and sometimes even years. And unfortunately, in those types of cases, that becomes the normal life for those kids. They don't know any different, and so they don't speak up to you. They don't say something to you when you pass by them in the grocery store. They don't say, help me, when you're sitting next to them on a park bench. And they don't say anything when you look across the street and know there's a kid that lives there and you've only seen them outside to play in the yard once in six months. Those are the children that we need to fight for. Those are the ones that we need to speak up for before they get to the courthouse, and in some cases, before they go to the cemetery. So I realize Jeff's the more upbeat, positive, uh, Lego type of guy, and I'm a prosecutor, so I'm the more, you know, here's the good, the bad, and the, the real, real ugly. And unfortunately, there is a lot of real ugly uh, in society with child abuse. But the positive that I will end on is all of you and all of my partners, uh, judges on the bench, my law enforcement uh, community, members of health professional, clergy, all of those that are saying, hey, we want to help take a stand here. We want to help fight and we want to help bring awareness. So thank you for all of you that are here. Uh, I greatly appreciate it. And I know members uh, of my uh, of my colleagues in this field appreciate it too. So thank you. Uh, Judge Jasbury or Gillis, Judge Gillis? I'm not following that either. <laughs> <laughs> thank you.
All right. That was a good um, description of being aware about child abuse. This is child abuse awareness. We're meeting about that. Um, what I'll do, knowing Judge Asbury will have good comments, I'll make it easy for him to follow, um, is just try to acknowledge those who work day in and day out tirelessly for um, children. Children are the focus, minors are the focus. I'm going to, because it should be easy for me, mention those people that should be acknowledged today for the hard work they do, because the work is done typically in a confidential setting where um, likely credit is never given and only attention is brought forth from the bad, terrible cases that our good state's attorney just mentioned. So I would like to acknowledge from my view as a juvenile court judge the hard work that assistant state's attorneys, the state's attorney and assistant state's attorneys do, the hard work that parents' attorneys do in trying to help parents piece their families back together that are affected by abuse, and those parents deserve acknowledgement. Par parents that come through difficult circumstances, having been abused themselves, to correct problems that have been generational, I would like to acknowledge those parents. I would like to acknowledge um, guardians ad litem who work in the legal field as a strong and powerful voice for children. I would like to acknowledge investigators and encourage everyone that can make investigators aware of those circumstances which you feel put a child in danger or you suspect has a child in danger help the investigator, they're doing hard work. We just read the stories where things weren't found out. Sometimes it's not the investigator's fault. Maybe it is sometimes, but I know investigators and all of those that I know are hardworking, well-meaning people. They deserve credit. Um, as I said, so do the parents. Um, I want, as I go through this list, which should be easy for me, I want anyone to shout out any category of person that I've missed. Just shout it out even if it's you. Um, I'll continue on. Caseworkers for the Department of Children and Family Services and agencies that the department gives tough cases to, keeping their own tough cases. CASA volunteers, personnel that work with delinquent youth, those youths that commit crimes. They deal with children in detention. They deal with children that have committed crimes trying to correct their lives. Listen, there is no small percentage of delinquent children that were abused. Abuse just affects everything throughout the juvenile court system and throughout our entire court system. So I've clicked off quite a few categories. Shout out if I'm missing any category. Foster parents was on my list, and, and I should have had it in front of me. The care that is given to children while they can't be with their family and maybe ultimately never get to be again is indispensable. I'm glad I had the shout-out idea. That would have been a bad miss. Anyone that I have missed, it would be terrible. As I said, the work of those in the juvenile um, justice system goes unnoticed, unheralded, and highly critiqued when something goes wrong. So child abuse awareness, be aware, report it. Trust me when I say there are people that are working hard to um, eliminate abuse, 
solve the problems that abuse creates itself and report. Please do that. Thank you. Judge Asbury. Thank you for that, Judge Gillis. Uh, welcome, everybody. And I don't know, this has been going on for Ms. Perlis for 15 years. Is this the first time we've done it indoors? Yes. So I am a charter speaker member <laughs> of the first annual indoor Hearts Around These Athletes. All right, so for those of you who don't know me, I'm Judge Asbury. I'm in courtroom 424. I'm kind of the new judge on the block. I've been a judge about two years now. Uh, I've been in juvenile court, which is JA court, which addresses a parents dealing, or we're dealing with parents that have abused or neglected their children, which is really core to what we're talking about today since January of this year. There's a quote that I think captures the essence and purpose of my courtroom, and it is that it is easier to raise or build strong children than it is to repair broken adults. And what that quote is, is about the future. That's what my courtroom's about is the future. And it's not just the future of that individual child or family, it's about our future. And the reason it's our future, and I analogize a community kind of like a chain link fence. That fence is only as strong as its weakest link. It's our obligation, particularly in that courtroom, to address that link. There's a load of excitement building among leaders in Peoria and the surrounding area, and it's all about connecting the region to the big city and more business with modern passenger rail service. The problem right now is finding the right location for a passenger train station here in Peoria. Mayor Rita Ali joined the guys on WNBD's The Greg and Dan Show this week to tell us more about it. Now, You'll have to pardon a brief interlude to start this conversation as Danny takes listeners on a traveling tangent to start things off. It's Greg and Dan Show, WMBD. Joey has been telling you the story this morning of the conversation that will be a public one in a couple of weeks about Peoria rail service from Peoria to Chicago and where the station might be. We will talk with Mayor of Peoria, Mayor Rita Ali, coming up in 60 seconds. How about mini transportation in the brain? Sending miniature robots deep inside the human skull to treat brain disorders has long been the stuff of science fiction. Yeah. Now, you baby boomers are going to love this reference. Bionaut Labs plans its first clinical trials on humans in just two years. Tiny injectable robot ships, which can be carefully guided throughout the brain using magnets. The co-founder and CEO said the idea of a micro-robot came about way before I was born. One of the most famous examples is a book by Isaac Asimov and a film called Fantastic Voyage, yeah. where a crew of scientists goes inside a miniaturized spaceship into the brain to treat a blood clot. Oh, I remember so the movie very well. Yeah. So, and now uh, he's he's not saying whether Raquel Welch will be aboard. <laughs> But isn't that, that amazing? That is amazing. That's, that he goes, amazing. what used to be science fiction yeah. in the 50s and 60s is now science fact. Let's talk about transportation of, uh, uh, in the more traditional way. We've been talking about this now for a few months. Uh, a proposed railway from Peoria up through uh, LaSalle, Peru, Ottawa, and to Chicago. Mayor Rita Ali is on the phone. Hey, Mayor, how are you? 
I'm doing great. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Before we talk about these proposals of, of stations, I do want to ask you to clarify for us and the listeners, is this already a stamped deal or are we still exploring? Well, we're still studying. It's Nothing is finalized. Nothing is, um, again, nothing is final, but we are still in the exploring stages, but we're making progress. There's momentum. Uh, we are under, um, we are involved in a study with IDOT, a feasibility study that's mm-hmm. been going on since November. And we hope that it will be wrapped up and expect that it will be wrapped up next month in May. Um, and this will determine the feasibility of the proposed rail line from Peoria to Chicago, the Rock Island, um, the Rock Island Rail. And, and so, so once the feasibility, and let's, uh, I'm all for it, Dan's for it, but I think I haven't heard anybody that says they don't want it. So, so I'm assuming we'll get a stamp of, all right, here it is. Uh, this is how we do this. This is, uh, we've looked at all the angles. Uh, and then what happens then? Does that then go, then it goes back to Springfield? Uh, is it, this a federally funded project? How, how do we then move it forward past the feasibility study? Right. So our leadership team has both federal and state elected representatives as well as key stakeholders in the Peoria region as well as all those city uh, cities that we plan to have stops along the way like Morris and um, LaSalle, Peru and Joliet. Those, those stakeholders along the way, their elected officials, their city managers, they're all involved now. We moved from a leadership team of 20 people now we have 47 people, nice, nice. individuals on the team. So, um, again, there's been an interest study where we had 31,500 people that responded. And for the most part, the majority of these individuals said they would likely or most likely use this service should it come to the Peoria area. And we'll be giving some more details next month on the findings of that study, as well as the overall feasibility study, which will include ridership. And that's the last part of the study that we're waiting on, is the ridership. This study that's taking place that will seek public input next Thursday at the Gateway Building is being conducted by the Tri-County Regional Planning Commission. Hanson Engineering is actually conducting the study. It's a complement to the IDOT. Study. Yeah, and it it uses federal funds as well. Well, so the federal. Oh, go ahead. I I, I want to focus on the feasibility and what they're looking into. For instance, there this is two different uses for this. Along I-80, for the last decade or more, it has become a bedroom community for the Chicago suburbs and for Chicago. There are people who move there that commute to Chicago, and and, and a transportation uh, system like a train, uh, they would they would use it quite a bit to go to Chicago instead of driving. But further down, when you get to uh, uh, Starved Rock area and down towards Peoria, it's more of a tourist attraction as much as transportation. And uh, so people will be coming from here to Chicago and back more uh, of a leisurely use than a business use like around the uh, I-80 corridor. So, Dan, we believe that it will be both. 
and and there are there's some information in the interest study that tells us that yes, it will be used highly for recreation, but it will also be used by business people for for work uh, work travel, and we we believe that that will be increased. We believe that people in Morris and some of these cities along the way want to come to work in Peoria. Yeah, we come this way. Some yeah. people in Peoria want to go to work in Chicago and sure. come back the same day. Yeah. So uh, we, we believe that it will be a strong yeah. economic development That's tool cool. to address workforce needs. I, I'm excited about it. Yeah. And then and the real uh, the impetus for me to, to, to call you and ask you to be on today was the announcement of the three possible uh, buildings that could be into play for our station, for the, uh, for the railway station, the Gateway Building, uh, the uh, old river station building, which was originally the, the and looks like a train and looks depot, like a yeah. train depot, and then the <laughs> post office, uh, and and I have yeah. I have uh, uh, good feelings about any of those, mm-hmm. and like all of them, I could like okay, I could see any of those working. How do you determine, or how will the committee determine which is the best? They're going to look at proximity to the synergy, uh, the retail. The uh, where people will most likely want to walk. They people most likely want to feel safe. They want it to be kind of in the center of retail and other establishments uh, within the downtown area. They're going to look at those connections. They call it transit-oriented um, development. So they're going to look at where the, kind of the where the synergy is that will best accommodate multimodal which means not just train, but also bus and taxi and uh, cars and accessibility and parking. Wow, and all three kind of fit that You could argue all of them, Because, yeah. you know, uh, yeah. uh, the, the, the uh, um, train station, the old train station down here. River Station. River yeah. Station uh, is kind of downtown, right. but then the post office is where everything is shifting for the warehouse yeah. district and yeah. has some parking. And then the gateway, right. uh, you know, so all three really fit the bill. Yeah, that would be interesting. I agree. When's yeah, the... they're great choices. And they don't want to say the buildings per se. They want to say it's the areas yeah. around because in some cases a building would have to be maybe modified in some way to fit the needs. Sure, sure. All right, Mayor Rita Ali, thanks so much. Enjoy the rest of your day at 749 WMBD. Of course, it will be a very long process, years before a decision is even made, even just on where to locate that new passenger rail terminal. There are a lot of people to gain input from. Many conversations about what will make sense, both for Peoria and for the people who might use the train who don't live here. Making passenger rail a reality in Peoria could take another half a dozen years, but... Leaders here seem determined to add that extra economic lifeline, connecting Peoria to the wider world in a newer way. It's not something anyone expected. Illinois saw a massive uptick in the number of new teachers being hired in the state. In fact, in the past year, the state hired as many or more teachers than it did for the prior five years combined. But it's not necessarily all good news. We dug into the details of the subject with Peoria's Regional Superintendent of Schools, Beth Kreider. What on the face appears to be some rather encouraging news about the number of teachers that have been brought in statewide in Illinois, uh, more than 5,600 just in the last 
year. What does that say? How do you react and how do you read the news that we got from the Illinois State Board of Education this week? When I read the report from the Illinois State Board of Education, my words would be cautiously optimistic. I am so glad that there is an interest in the teaching profession because I think it's the best profession on earth. I'm very glad to hear that people are interested in taking these positions. My own daughter is graduating with a special education degree and hope to have a job for her right when she graduates. But I'm also concerned on the other end, is that we have teachers that are leaving the profession early, not staying till retirement. So there's a little bit of balance there that we need to strike. So we'll start with the part, with the cautious optimism. Did you expect to see a report like this? Yes or no, and why or why not? No, I did not expect to see a report like that because anecdotally from my fellow superintendents and principals and myself trying to hire here in Peoria County, we've been struggling for the past few years. We have been putting substitutes in positions that we are working to get fully qualified to teach in those jobs, and we have been trying to piece together full staff, so I was surprised to see that report. However, it is nice to see some positive news. We need that. Uh, wanted to try to drill down on kind of the way that that same information looks here at home. I believe that you've probably taken a look at some of the numbers. How many have we added here? How many vacancies do we still have? How's all that look here locally? We're getting ready to do what I call the great switcheroo here over the summer. So we have many positions that are coming open, so it's going to be very hard for me to give you an exact number. But what I do know is that I have several local schools that are putting out positions and looking to fill, and then we have mobility. Teachers now have the ability to say, I want to live closer to home. I want to put my child in my own home school district, and they're switching even within the local area, not necessarily leaving to go out of state, but going to a neighboring school district. Mm. Well, obviously, that creates a vacancy in another school district. So as teachers move around, we wind up in August with several positions that are not filled. Those then, we have to put in substitute teachers. Sometimes those are people that are working towards a full teaching credential, so we work hard to get them that, put them in online courses, or we use substitutes in those positions until we can find someone that is qualified. But I can, speaking for myself, I have positions that are out there right now that I've had no one apply for or I've only had one or two people apply for. And so there are some areas of the teaching profession that are hard to find people. So that sounds like a bit of a lack of interest in particular roles. Can you outline what roles you're talking about? What sort of jobs? Very astute. The, The hardest positions to find right now are special education is always a tough one to find someone that's fully licensed to teach those specialty areas. Mm -hmm. So special education has been hard for quite some time. But then when you look at high schools, math and science, those physics and calculus and higher level math courses, foreign language teachers, we call them unicorns here as to where can you find a Spanish teacher or a French teacher. And some of the other types of languages simply aren't being offered because we can't find teachers for those. So those specialty positions are definitely difficult. And then one last area is early childhood. To find someone that is certified with that specialty license for the very young child is also very difficult to find. Uh, So I wonder how... 
it is you like how high is the hill that we still have to climb when it comes to helping ease the stress that is caused by teacher shortages at schools uh we still got a long way to go i think we have a long way to go for many different reasons um When teachers enter the profession, the numbers keep climbing as to how many of them leave within the first five years. Mm -hmm. So I would like to see strategies around what I call the teacher keepage problem. Once we get them into the profession, how do we keep them there for the long haul? Because it takes endurance. It's not an easy job. So how do we surround them with support, with mentoring, with professional learning that is relevant and not just something that the school district says that everybody has to do on that day and doesn't pertain to their classroom? How do we give them time to be able to accomplish all the things that they're required to do? How do we support families in the way they interact with their teachers? From there, then you can start looking at other strategic things like how do we deal with student loans? How do we deal with what teachers are paid? Um, Entry-level jobs for teachers don't pay that well. Mm. So just looking at all the different parts of what it means to be a teacher. You know, it leads me back kind of to some more. We'll touch back on the optimism a bit. And can you... It probably is mostly anecdotal in terms of the info that might be available for a question like this, but the things that continue to draw applicants to teaching in a time when we weren't expecting that, what is it that people still want to do? And why are people still, I guess, so attracted to teaching? Teaching brings value. Teaching brings optimism and teaching is hope. So over this pandemic, I think people have started to ask essential questions about what am I doing with my life and what am I, how am I giving back to my community? How can I be part of that change that I want to see? Or how can I be a part of making my community a better place? Mm-hmm. One of the best ways to do that is be a teacher. You are in there with young children that you make a direct impact on their future by being with them every day and teaching them, building relationships with them and their families and supporting their development. I can't think of a better profession. So coming out of the pandemic, if you're starting to look for a place for purpose, teaching is it. Um, And then on kind of the other end of it, sort of a similar question to the side of what it is that makes people who jump in the the teacher keepage problem remain is it just burnout or are there other factors why is it that there's so much excitement for some folks who get in and then you know not even five years down the road is it a lack of support from a union let's say what are the factors that that uh, that factor into a situation like a teacher leaving after just a few years of trying it I think when a teacher optimistically jumps into the profession and says, I am going to make a difference in the life of a child, that's exactly what they want to do. And they believe in the art of teaching. And they get in that classroom, and here comes all of the mandates. Here comes all of the paperwork. Here come all of the emails that you have to respond to. All those things that are not the art of teaching and that you went to school for to become a professional. And I think those things start to wear, your, wear them down year after year 
after year is what I'm hearing from my teacher friends. And so getting back to that of what true teaching is and that it's not paperwork, it's not boxed curriculum that I don't have any say in and that I just have to say out loud in the classroom. It's giving them back a little bit of that control, I think, would go a long way. And then the last thing I would ask, of course, is, uh, we continue to need teachers. I'd give you the opportunity here to mention if there's anyone right now listening who's like, okay, I've been thinking about it. It's time for me to do it. Uh, who wants to jump in to this profession? Uh, what do they need to know? I love this question. So specifically, if you are listening today and you're thinking about a career change, we've been through this pandemic, you're sitting out there with a four-year degree, you're not sure what you want to do with that, we have a way to fast-track getting that teaching license so that you can start having an impact in our classrooms here in Peoria County. So if you think teaching is for you, we will help you get on board. It's a day we might not all know quite how to celebrate, but for leader Emily Cahill at the Peoria Park District, it's as easy as getting outside. It's not something anyone expected. Illinois saw a massive uptick in the number of new teachers being hired in the state. In fact, in the past year, the state hired as many or more teachers than it did for the prior five years combined. But it's not necessarily all good news. We dug into the details of the subject with Peoria's Regional Superintendent of Schools, Beth Kreider. What on the face appears to be some rather encouraging news about the number of teachers that have been brought in statewide in Illinois, uh, more than 5,600 just in the last year. What does that say? How do you react and how do you read the news that we got from the Illinois State Board of Education this week? When I read the report from the Illinois State Board of Education, my words would be cautiously optimistic. I am so glad that there is an interest in the teaching profession because I think it's the best profession on earth. I'm very glad to hear that people are interested in taking these positions. My own daughter is graduating with a special education degree and hope to have a job for her right when she graduates. But I'm also concerned on the other end is that we have teachers that are leaving the profession early, not staying till retirement. So there's a little bit of balance there that we need to strike. So we'll start with the part with the cautious optimism. Did you expect to see a report like this? Yes or no, and why or why not? No, I did not expect to see a report like that because anecdotally from my fellow superintendents and principals and myself trying to hire here in Peoria County, we've been struggling for the past few years. We have been putting substitutes in positions that we are working to get fully qualified to teach in those jobs, and we have been trying to piece together full staff, so I was surprised to see that report. However, it is nice to see some positive news. We need that. Uh, wanted to try to drill down on kind of the way that that same information looks here at home. I believe that you've probably taken a look at some of the numbers. How many have we added here? How many vacancies do we still have? How's all that look here locally? We're getting ready to do 
what I call the great switcheroo here over the summer. So we have many positions that are coming open, so it's going to be very hard for me to give you an exact number. But what I do know is that I have several local schools that are putting out positions and looking to fill, and then we have mobility. Teachers now have the ability to say, I want to live closer to home. I want to put my child in my own home school district, and they're switching even within the local area, not necessarily leaving to go out of state, but going to a neighboring school district. Mm. Well, obviously, that creates a vacancy in another school district. So as teachers move around, we wind up in August with several positions that are not filled. Those then, we have to put in substitute teachers. Sometimes those are people that are working towards a full teaching credential, so we work hard to get them that, put them in online courses, or we use substitutes in those positions until we can find someone that is qualified. But I can, speaking for myself, I have positions that are out there right now that I've had no one apply for or I've only had one or two people apply for. And so there are some areas of the teaching profession that are hard to find people. So that sounds like a bit of a lack of interest in particular roles. Can you outline what roles you're talking about? What sort of very astute. The the hardest positions to find right now are special education is always a tough one to find someone that's fully licensed to teach those specialty areas. Mm-hmm. So special education has been hard for quite some time. But then when you look at high schools, math and science, those physics and calculus and higher level math courses, foreign language teachers, we call them unicorns here as to where can you find a Spanish teacher or a French teacher. And some of the other types of languages simply aren't being offered because we can't find teachers for those. So those specialty positions are definitely difficult. And then one last area is early childhood. To find someone that is certified with that specialty license for the very young child is also very difficult to find. Uh, So I wonder how it is you like how high is the hill that we still have to climb when it comes to helping ease the stress that is caused by teacher shortages at schools uh we still got a long way to go i think we have a long way to go for many different reasons um When teachers enter the profession, the numbers keep climbing as to how many of them leave within the first five years. Mm -hmm. So I would like to see strategies around what I call the teacher keepage problem. Once we get them into the profession, how do we keep them there for the long haul? Because it takes endurance. It's not an easy job. So how do we surround them with support, with mentoring, with professional learning that is relevant and not just something that the school district says that everybody has to do on that day and doesn't pertain to their classroom? How do we give them time to be able to accomplish all the things that they're required to do? How do we support families in the way they interact with their teachers? From there, then you can start looking at other strategic things like how do we deal with student loans? How do we deal with what teachers are paid? Um, Entry-level jobs for teachers don't pay that well. Mm. So just looking at all the different parts of what it means to be a teacher. You know, it leads me back kind of to some more. We'll touch back on the optimism a bit. And can you... It probably is mostly anecdotal in terms of the info that might be available for a question like this, but the things that continue to draw 
applicants to teaching in a time when we weren't expecting that? What is it that people still want to do? And why are people still, I guess, so attracted to teaching? Teaching brings value. Teaching brings optimism. And teaching is hope. So over this pandemic, I think people have started to ask essential questions about what am I doing with my life and what am I, how am I giving back to my community? How can I be part of that change that I want to see? Or how can I be a part of making my community a better place? Mm-hmm. One of the best ways to do that is be a teacher. You are in there with young children that you make a direct impact on their future by being with them every day and teaching them, building relationships with them and their families and supporting their development. I can't think of a better profession. So coming out of the pandemic, if you're starting to look for a place for purpose, teaching is it. Um, And then on kind of the other end of it, sort of a similar question to the side of what it is that makes people who jump in the, the teacher keepage problem remain. Is it just burnout or are there other factors? Why is it that there's so much excitement for some folks who get in and then, you know, not even five years down the road. Is it a lack of support from a union, let's say? What are the factors that, that, uh, that factor into a situation like a teacher leaving after just a few years of trying it? I think when a teacher optimistically jumps into the profession and says, I am going to make a difference in the life of a child, that's exactly what they want to do. And they believe in the art of teaching. And they get in that classroom, and here comes all of the mandates. Here comes all of the paperwork. Here come all of the emails that you have to respond to. All those things that are not the art of teaching and that you went to school for to become a professional. And I think those things start to wear your wear them down year after year is what I'm hearing from my teacher friends. And so getting back to that of what true teaching is and that it's not paperwork, it's not boxed curriculum that I don't have any say in and that I just have to say out loud in the classroom. It's giving them back a little bit of that control I think would go a long way. And then the last thing I would ask, of course, is, Uh, We continue to need teachers. I'd give you the opportunity here to mention if there's anyone right now listening who's like, okay, I've been thinking about it. It's time for me to do it. Uh, Who wants to jump in to this profession? Uh, What do they need to know? I love this question. So specifically, if you are listening today and you're thinking about a career change, we've been through this pandemic, you're sitting out there with a four-year degree, you're not sure what you want to do with that, we have a way to fast-track getting that teaching license so that you can start having an impact in our classrooms here in Peoria County. So if you think teaching is for you, we will help you get on board. What is Earth Day mean to you to the Peoria Park District? The one day of the year where we have a unique opportunity, I think, to engage in education and environmental advocacy in a way that is probably gets paid more attention to than what we do every day, right? We Every day in the Park District in some form is Earth Day just based upon what we do our goals for preserving green space and making sure that everybody in our community has access to parks and trails is part of our Earth Day advocacy every day. But this Saturday on April 23rd, we will be able to 
engage the larger community in a conversation about what that means for them, what benefits they receive as a result of having access to, to great open space in our community. We'll be able to show them just how we can support them as they're looking for healthy, vibrant activities in the community. And it raises our profile a little bit. This is one of our favorite days in the entire year, and we love having sometimes thousands of people come out to Forest Park Nature Center to celebrate the day with us. What's it like to be a part of this Earth Day Festival there? Uh, so the Earth Day uh, Festival specifically has a lot of, there are, there are vendors there who can provide information to people who visit about ways that they can make Earth Day a priority in their own homes, whether that's through recycling or through planting native plants or how they might take a pollinator garden and add it to their backyard. Um, we have fun food and drink. We have arts and crafts that are earth-friendly. We have um, guided hikes. We'll have the Peoria Playhouse Children's Museum on site to provide some sustainable children's activities. Our Trailhead Nature Store will be open. We will have the first batch of maple syrup on sale from our Camp Wakanda maple syrup operation. Um, we will have Peoria Zoo on hand to talk about what conservation means to them from a zoo perspective. So it's a lot of, of like a wide variety of activities, right? There really is something for everybody, uh, but it's an opportunity to hopefully expand your personal definition of what conservation means to you by thinking about all the different ways that we can impact that just in our daily lives. If you were to share, say, an anecdote from an Earth Day festival in years past that is near and dear to you, what, what would that be? So I, I think for me, like, I love to go and just, like, sit at a picnic table and watch the people kind of walk through and see the positivity about some of these things that we take for granted, to see the awe on their faces when they, you know, learn just what it means to create a compost garden or something like that where they understand what role they can play that's really simple to do. Um, one of my favorite parts about Earth Day is just going and, and seeing all the different vendors and opportunities um, finding a, a native plant. So I have a plant that I bought there several years ago that I still keep alive. Thank goodness. That's not my forte. But every time I look at that plant, I think about Forest Park Nature Center and what it means to our community. And I know that that's like my job, right? I mean, people are probably rolling their eyes when they hear me say that. But these are very simple things that just because it's my job to do that every day, it's kind of all of our jobs to do that every day. And Earth Day brings those ideas to the forefront because if we don't figure this out, if we don't pick up our own trash and leave nothing but our footprints when we go out into nature, we are causing harm that is having implications for all of us. And so this is a really, really fun day. It's a celebration but it's an, also an opportunity to combine that learning and fun that we love to do so much in the park district, focused on in the environment and focused on conservation. And anytime we can raise the profile of those issues in our community, then it's a good day in the park district. Yeah, I might get, um, I don't want to get too deep on it necessarily, but yeah. um, Earth Day 
I sense is maybe seen as a bit of an opportunity for everyday Americans, for everyday folks in Peoria, for folks who live in a concrete world and commute on concrete streets and park and and go into concrete buildings in their uh, structures and 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 their technology and a chance to in in a sense almost just commit to reconnecting with something natural but i want to ask why is that so important in your mind so i will say that over the last two years I hope that we all have a better answer to that question than we did prior to COVID. Hmm. We could have spent thousands of thousands of dollars on marketing, trying to educate people about the benefits of getting outside in a way that the COVID experience did for us both positively and negatively. When we were, you know, forced to quarantine and the, the only thing you could do was go outside and walk or use our parks, and those were places that were still available and open when everything else wasn't, people had firsthand experience about experience with what it means to spend time in nature. We know that research tells us that if you spend even 20 minutes a day outside, breathing fresh air, letting the sun, you know, shine on your face, just being outside and present, that it's good for your physical health, it's good for your mental health, um, it helps you make connections with people, and it helps you feel more grounded individually. There are so many benefits to getting outside that Earth Day is one of those spots where everybody sort of feels like, oh, it's Earth Day, I better celebrate, because we love to celebrate. That's what we do as people, right? Mm. And so it helps us to engage more people in the conversation and, and we know that our band of people who see that value and spend time outside is, has grown as a result of COVID, and we know that we are retaining a lot of those folks. But there are still people out there that either fall back into old habits and get too busy or whatever. So this is a great day to set, kind of check ourselves and say, I've got to recommit to that. I've got to get outside. I've got to take care of this space that we all own together. We have to do more to protect our planet and to value what the resources are that we have here in Peoria and what it means for us individually and collectively. Not necessarily that it would be any news to you, but I suppose on that tangent of how the sunshine outside can be so helpful for us humans, uh, we're going to, looks like, have a nice sunny day on Saturday, pretty warm too, maybe in the 80s with some breeze. There had been mention in uh, some... Uh, media material that had been sent out ahead of the Earth Day Festival for this year. Ways that you could support Earth Day and the efforts of the Peoria Park District this year. Those include what? Uh, volunteerism. Certainly that's a big one. We always are looking for volunteers to help with things like festivals and special events. The biggest way, honestly, is to get outside yourself. If we are spending our resources and our time, and honestly, those are your resources, right? Because we are funded primarily with property tax dollars mm -hmm. to maintain these great spaces for you. And across the Peoria area, we have 9,000 acres of public green space that we take care of. We have 52 miles of trails. The best thing you can do is spend time in those places and spaces that you help to maintain. Really make that a valuable part of your life. Help that with your vibrancy participate in our programs, 
Um, all of those things make a big difference, not only for us, because then we feel needed and that's always good, but it's important for you because there is that sense of community that comes with participating in events like that. And we are an amazing asset in this community and we hope people take advantage of it. All right. Emily Cahill, I think that's everything I wanted to ask. I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much. No problem. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Have a great day. You too. That does it for this edition of Week in Review. For instant news 24-7, follow us at 1470-100.3 WMBD on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and at 1470-WMBD.com. I'm Cooper Banks, WMBD News.